Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at But I'm so glad you made it. You guys know the drill. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, so glad you made it here today. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say, go Cowboys, go Cowboys. Today we're going to be talking about hope, Advent and hope. A couple, probably about 10 years ago, I was uh, studying. I had a, a pastor friend that called me out of the blue, really close friend. He said, Chris, I need you to pray with me. And he kind of just gave me some, just some information about a young man that he was pastoring. And uh, this young man, he'd been pastoring for a long time. And then he called him out, out of the blue, my pastor friend, and he was sobbing uncontrollably. It, had, it was hard for him to put a sentence together. He was incoherent. And so my pastor friend was kind of relaying some of the details, obviously kept his, a lot of his information private. I don't even know to this day who this, this young man was. But this, this young man who's talking to my pastor friend, friend sobbing uncontrollably, is, is the guy who's like the type A personality. Never, he's like in control of his life, doesn't have issues, uh, just a, a, a leader, a man's man, whatever. And so he calls my friend sobbing uncontrollably. And this is what he tells, paraphrasing, tells my pastor friend. He says, "Um, so-and-so, I made $200 million this year. And my friend was like stunned. Wow, okay. Um, Hopefully you can tie that soon. Anyways, um, he didn't say that. It's horrible. You guys are just so bad. Wow. Why would you even, okay. Um, and he said, I made $200 million this year. And at this age, I told myself that I would make $200 million and I did it. But I am more, and I thought it would make me happy, but I am more miserable than I've ever been. I remember thinking about that story. I've thought about that story often. I've shared this story many times. I don't even know this man's name. Uh, I don't know where he, he, he comes from, but $200 million did not make him happy. My word. What's funny is that the lived experience of most Americans is similar to, to this young man's misery. In fact, one expert tells us that the primary emotion for the majority of adult Americans who have the advantages of income and education is this chronic sense of disappointment. We're going to be talking about hope today, but the, the antipode or the opposite of hope is what? Disappointment. We're disappointed in life. Tyler Staten says this about us, okay? He says, if you have an income over $25,000 a year, you are wealthier than 90% of the world. If you make over $50,000, congratulations, you um, are in the wealthiest 1% in the world. 91% of the global population does not own a car. Nearly half of the world lacks basic sanitation. Two billion do not have uh, the 
base, basic clean, clean water. Uh, just under a billion do not have electricity and less than 7% in the world have a college education. So I say that not to like, like emotionally manipulate you today, right? Like we're anti-capitalist and anti-bourgeois class or whatever. The point that I'm trying to make is we live in the zenith of human civilization and we are disappointed. Right? That's the primary. This is from an expert. The primary and come on. Some of you are looking at me like that's not me. No, no, you stop. Homie, don't play that. We come to church and we don't lie. Can I get an amen? High five your neighbor right now because some of you give me that dear look, right? We know what that chronic sense of disappointment is like. Well, my marriage was supposed to turn out like that, but it's this way, right? I thought at this time, at 35, I would be here, but I'm not. I remember at, at 10, I was a joyful person, but I'm now 32 and I'm absolutely miserable. What happened to my life? We have so much, and yet we're so disappointed, right? It's like, it's, it's part of the lived experience of so many, so many Americans in um, our present moment. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 25 says, hey guys, uh, don't be anxious about food, clothing, uh, what you drink, because isn't life more than these? And then he goes on to say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what Jesus emphatically is not saying is that, guys, don't take care of yourself. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about drink. Don't worry about all that, you know, just walk around naked, right? He's not saying that. Jesus is not saying, hey, just focus exclusively on some post-mortem existence we call hope, wherein one day you'll shine like, you know, like a glow stick for everlasting to everlasting, which to me, guys, is my definition of hell, okay? I have another teaching on heaven. Heaven is way more than that. Can I get an Amen. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is inaugurating in this moment. And what he's is stressing is don't give yourself over to the superficiality of putting money, success, productivity, I can go on and on, appearance, the stuff that the world uses as a metrics for human flourishing, don't give in to the superficiality of that stuff and make it first. Put the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Why should we do that? That's always my question. I'm a why guy. I, I have to figure out why would you say that? I think that one of the reasons why, and I think this is the major factor and reasons why people are chronically disappointed, is because you are, we all are, an unceasing embodied person that possesses this vast spiritual life wherein uh, careerism and successfulness and relationships can never satisfy. You, you have so much depth, you have so much vastness in your spiritual life. Only your life before Jesus and his deep transformative work in your life related to his kingdom can satisfy the longing of your heart today. And I just want to say, as we go into 2023, I don't want you to be scared. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be scared. But I think 
And I'll say this as your pastor, but I think God is calling this church out of the shallows and into the depths. What are the shallows, Chris? I'm going to define the shallows as you're defining your life by success, by getting that job, by having that house, by looking a certain way, by your lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. None of those things are bad inherently, but I think God is calling us out of the defining ourselves by the superficialities of that metric and moving us into the deep transformative work that God wants to do in our life, wherein God transforms us, heals us of our addictions, forgives us of our sins, transforms our, our patterns of thinking in such a way that we become people of hope and goodness and light and life that brings God's goodness into this city. That's the depths. And I think it necessitates healing because I think a lot of us are not healed. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of you, you're carrying stuff and crap and nonsense and hurts and past and trauma and sin and Jesus this year is going to get you. In love, right? Guys, we serve a good God. And he meets us with grace and mercy. Good God. That wants to take your life, the disorganized life messed up by trauma and sin. He wants to turn you right side up. Bring healing to your soul. Bring healing to your mind. Bring healing to your whole person. That you become the person that you've always wanted to be. 2023 is going to be a good year. But guys, you are an unceasing embodied person that possesses a vast spiritual life and a career can never fulfill that. $200 million cannot fill that vastness. Only an infinite God can. Only a good God who loves you can fulfill that longing. So we have the lived experience of many adult Americans shaped by chronic disappointment. In addition to this, I'm gonna call it this, it's called the fatiguing of the American way of life. Guys, we're all fatigued, can I get an amen? amen. We're fatigued and we're exhausted. In fact, as of as a late or recent 2019 experts um, have called the large majority of Americans as the exhausted majority. We're exhausted with politics. We're exhausted with extremism. We're exhausted with stupid. Can I get an amen to that? I should have got a better amen to that. I am exhausted with absurdity, okay? I'm exhausted with the pace of life. I'm exhausted with hurrying through life and not having any sort of depth, any sort of life before God. Exhausted with all that. Many Americans are exhausted by, by all of that. In fact, what happens when you're just going from one event to the next, this is time is just a sequence of moments and you're going from one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, and you have no spiritual depth and spiritual life before God, you'll begin to fatigue and it will begin to affect your emotions. As it begins to affect your emotions, it will affect your spiritual capacity to receive from God. You see, I think it was Winston Churchill. It probably wasn't Winston Churchill. You can look it up. But somebody famous once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Sure, but I think there's a deeper, deeper reality with fatigue. Fatigue makes us cynics. I, I know fatigue is different than being sleepy and being a little tired. 
and having maybe a couple weeks where you're just a little bit off. No fatigue, you can feel it in the depths of your emotions. You can feel it in your body and you can feel it affecting your spirit. When I get fatigue, I know I need prayer. The spiritual fatigue can erode uh, my spiritual life. It can, it, can, it can cause me to have a distorted perspective of reality. I start to become really cynical. In fact, one of the, my greatest concerns with a lot of pastors who have no spiritual depth and they just go from ministry to ministry to ministry and they help and they help and they help people and even many people in the church who just help and serve and help and serve and those are wonderful things. Can I get an amen? My concern is that if we just serve and serve and serve and we have no spiritual depth with God and we become fatigued, what happens? We become cynics. We start critiquing people. We become really judgmental. We're irritable. We become defensive. No one in this church ever has experienced this before. We become so like tired and our spiritual capacity is diminished by the wearing down of our bodies and the wearing down of our emotions. And many Americans are experiencing this at this moment. Furthermore, not only are we experiencing chronic disappointment and the fatiguing of our life, Many people are experiencing depression. In fact, one expert says we are living in the throes of a national epidemic of depression and suicidal ideation. One expert calls our moment, this present moment, as the rising plague of melancholy. This is old data, but as many as 14 million people a year are diagnosed with severe depression. It is way more than that now. There are many factors to this, and I'm not trying, I don't want to diagnose. Obviously, I'm not a, a, a clinical psychologist, so I'm not going to diagnose this, but there are many factors that contribute to depression. Obviously, brain chemistry is an issue. Thank God for good medicine. Can I get an amen? Good doctors. Uh, lifestyle, social fragmentation, isolation will destroy your soul, right? There are many people that are living under the weight of loneliness. Uh, we've lost the ability to have friends. We don't know how to be in relationships anymore. Right? Our brains are fried. We're so distracted in life. And we've talked about a lot about this, how our social fabric is, is unraveling as we know it. But God's going to do a new thing. And God's doing a fresh work in, in our church and churches in this valley, of course. But I think one of the greatest factors of this moment where so many people are depressed is connected to the fact that we have lost the spiritual narrative of our lives. And we've replaced the spiritual narrative with I'm only valuable as I am productive. And when we lose our productivity or when we lose our appearance or when we lose the sense of success, again, this, this superficial, superficial metric that so many people live by and define themselves by, what happens? It contributes to this depression. Certainly there are other bigger issues as well that play into factors that play into depression. So we're living in a weary world. Isaiah 40, verse 30, as we read, even the youths, I love youths, everyone say youths. Even the youths shall be faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. We're exhausted and we're worn out. What does a weary, worn out world need more than, ever, than anything? Doesn't just need a vacation, a vacation would be great. Doesn't just need a nap, and I would love a nap, guys, my seven children. What does a weary world need? It needs hope. And this is where we come to Isaiah chapter 40. Everyone say hope. hope. Isaiah chapter 40, we begin with God 
speaking to, we're not quite sure who it is because it's used in the plural. I'm just going to call this person that God is speaking to as the Isianic Herald. And so God speaks to the Isianic Herald and says, I want you to say this, comfort, comfort over my people. So God speaks, meets his people where they're at and says, comfort, comfort. The Hebrew word basically means compassion, compassion. God comes to a people that are worn out, exhausted, have no strength left, and he speaks a word of comfort and compassion over them. The historical backdrop of Isaiah chapter 40 is that God's people are living in exile. They've been living in exilic conditions for a long time. It's dehumanizing. Um, They're worn out by it. God then comes and speaks a word of promise. There are three aspects or dimensions to this promise. He says, I will come and forgive you of your sins. I will come and return you from exile. And also I will come and you will see my glory. You see, God is a communicating God who promises good things over his people. This is, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want you to hear me. This is the anchor of our hope. God's people are barred from life. They're living exhausted lives in captivity in Babylon. God comes and does not offer a vacation or a nap or anything else. He just simply offers his word. I like to say this really quick. I think his word is his presence. The word of God is the presence of God. So in effect, when God says to the Isianic Herald, comfort, comfort, what is he saying? He's speaking a word of comfort. And as he speaks the word of comfort, he is offering himself to his people. You hearing me? So we have, in a sense, as we go through this chapter, and there are many different things, and there's a long rhetorical piece that I'll get to here pretty quick. But there is an implicit complaint in Isaiah chapter 40 as they hear the people of God hear the Isianic herald say, comfort, comfort. God's going to restore you. God's going to forgive you of your sins. You're going to come back from exile and you're going to see the glory of God in your life. The complaint is we don't believe you. God's people, in other words, believe that God is temporally, and I mentioned this last week, spatially restricted by circumstances, they do not believe the word of promise. And yet, what does God do? God speaks. And what does God do today? He continues to speak the word of promise over us. So what does that mean? Really quick. Guys, it means, and you don't have to be a Christian to believe this, but we live in a communicating cosmos. What does that mean? That means words matter. Can I get an amen to that? Come on, somebody. Are you guys alive this morning? Words matter. Words have depth to them. We know this. Words have future shaping power inherent within them. In fact, what one negative word can haunt you. We all know this for years, sabotaging your future in tragic ways. This is the power of words. We also know that one positive word can have the opposite effect. I love this beautiful story of a young woman. She was 14 years old that I just read recently. She was just recently diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and she was contemplating taking her life, experiencing suicidal ideation in the throes of severe clinical depression, going through so much pain. 
and she decided she wanted to take her life. So she started lobbying with other people and the media kind of picked it up, lobbying the government, I don't know what state she was a part of, to legalize state assisted suicide. So she was in the middle of this process. She didn't want to live anymore. She had no hope. Everyone say no hope. She had no hope. And then one day out of the blue, she meets this 30-year-old girl experiencing the same thing that she was experiencing. Had cystic fibrosis way longer than her, had gone through so much pain. And this, this girl, this 30-year-old girl, turns to this 14-year-old girl and says, there's hope. You can make it. You don't have to give up. It wasn't a brilliant what, um, talk that she gave to this 14-year-old girl. It was simply a word of encouragement and, and hope. She changed her mind and she decided not to take her life. She stopped the whole process of trying to get uh, state legal um, suicide you know, um, legalized. She stopped that entire process and she gave her life to helping other people. One single word can change a, a future. Can change a future. So we live in this communicating cosmos. Words have depth. Words have inherent power within them, right? Our words, just go with me. Our words have power. Do you believe that? Words have power. But in Isaiah, in the chapter that we read from verses 9 through basically 28, what Isaiah is telling us or what this herald is telling us that the words of God are incomparable compared to our puny little words. If we have the power to change the future in someone for good or for bad, how much more, guys, how much more does your father in heaven have the power to influence your future? Guys, we are here today not because we believe. I mean, we sort of believe, but we're getting out of this. We're not here today because we believe that success is going to satisfy the vast spiritual life that we possess. We are here today not because we believe that we are perfect and we deserve to be here today. We are here today not because that we have meaning inherent within ourselves. We are here today because we believe in the word of promise. We are here today, and this is what Isaiah for about 15 verses tells us in this long rhetorical piece. He essentially, as I mentioned last week, reveals the staggering depths of God's ontological status. Basically, God is incomparable in his goodness, his power, his wisdom, and his words. And so we are here today worshiping and listening to a redheaded preacher because we believe that God's word is more powerful than nuclear fission itself. Our lives are dependent on a promise. You, oh man. I'm, I don't know about over here. I'm going to go over here, okay? 
You are not a collocation of atoms. You're not just a bundle of firing brain synapses or whatever, right? You're not just the result of the byproduct of just neurochemistry. You don't live in a meaningless universe. We are here today and we exist today because of a word of promise spoken over creation and spoken over you and I. And so in this long rhetorical piece that we couldn't read out of Isaiah chapter 40, simply tells us that the God who fired the universe into existence is the same God who can fire strength, who can fire new possibilities, who can fire new life, who can give you hope, who can flood you with a new mind, who can take you out of your depressed state, who can take that exhaustion that has led you into a cynical world and turn you right side up. We serve a God that spoke supernovas into existence. So I believe right here in this moment at 1210 on a way too frigid winter day, that God can speak life into you right now. This is the beautiful promise of Isaiah chapter 40. This is why we are sucking oxygen on planet Earth. Isn't life more than security and success? And those are good things and having a home and having an income great things, but life is so much more than that. Man. I, my goal here today in, in 2023 is to convince you that you are way more than your job. That you are way more than the labels that you've been labeled by other people. You are way more than this is the sum total of your past experiences. You are a product of a promise made by God over you. And today, someone needs to hear this. He is speaking comfort, comfort over you. Speaking peace, peace over you. I'm tired, some of you are saying. I'm wiped out. I don't feel right. I feel like just every day is just this incoherent gray. It's just monochromatic. I don't even know what it is. I just feel, I don't feel life anymore. The Holy Spirit is here to bring hope to you. I, I sense it. God wants to flood your life with his grace, his peace, his hope. So what's the response here? As I close in 45 minutes. What is our response? Well, I want to read this verse 28 through 31 out of Isaiah chapter 40. After this long rhetorical piece describing the ontological status, the staggering status of God and his power, verse 29 says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Actually, if we go back, that 28, have you not known? That's good. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. Everyone said amen. amen. My mind is playing tricks on me here today. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. 
verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord, everyone say, wait for the Lord. Everyone say, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm a teacher, but I feel like preaching today. I'm more of an academic, but I just, I just feel like I need to get this into your soul. They mount up with wings like, I love the metaphor here. Like, guys, I'm not even going to try to deconstruct this on an exegetical level. I'm just like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. Shall mount up with wings like eagles. Ah, ah, what does that mean? <laughs> means something pretty cool. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the promise that God has for us as we move into this Christmas season and as we move into 2023 and beyond. We can become people who learn to wait on God and as we learn to be the kinds of people that wait expectantly for God, what happens? Our strength is renewed. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. How many of you love to wait? Nah. Wait? It's, a, it's an obscenity for Americans. Come on, some of you drive way too fast because you've got a hurry problem, right? Wait? Some of you are thinking, no, I'm a speed guy, right? Wait, no, 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 no. What does wait mean? Well, wait is an unhurried word. It's a word that I don't really appreciate. But the actual translation of this is to wait expectantly for God's word to come to pass. So what does to wait for the Lord mean? It means to hope. Hope. Hope, 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 hope. God wants to fill you today with hope. This is the season of hope. I want, I want to see God through the power of the Holy Spirit to get you on the inside of hope, to experience the hope that God has for you. So what is hope? Hope is the active, confident expectation of good based upon God's character and his word over your life. That's what hope is. As N.T. Wright says this, we sometimes speak of someone who is ill as being a shadow of their former self. The Christian, however, in the present life is a mere shadow of his future self. One of my all-time favorite quotes that gives us a glimpse of what hope is like. Many of us think that our best years are behind us, but as a follower of Jesus, guys, guess what your future is like? It's, wait for it, some of you are not ready for this. It's all joy at the end. I love this. The future is joy. Not death, not cessation of existence, not dissolution of your life, not sin, not evil. Your future at the end is absolute, untrammeled, unspeakable, unfathomable joy. So Chris, are you saying we're never going to go through tribulation and trouble? No, that's not what I'm saying. Jesus makes it very clear, John 14, 15, and 16, that in this world you will have trouble. 
you will have tribulation. But Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So we will experience, Jesus makes it very clear, we will experience episodic moments of trouble and tribulation and even intensifications of that. But the good news is that God in his mysterious plan and mysterious way can take all the negative, messy stuff in our life, all the bad stuff and even the good stuff and use it for his glory and for our good, come on somebody, and turn it all around. So what I'm saying is that our future is a future of joy. So hope. Please hear me. Hope, if it's an active, confident expectation of good based on God's character and his word, hope is not a passive do-nothing-ism. It's not just you sitting around watching the Cowboys lose today, eating about 20 hot dogs, crying a little bit, you know, throwing a little fit in the garage, coming back and taking care of your seven kids. That has never happened to me before. Stop it, guys, right? Stop. It's not just sitting around and doing nothing. Hope is not like mere optimism, right? Just blab it, grab it, right? That God wants me to have a Jaguar, right? Which is a car, not the, not the animal. And he's just, gonna, he's just gonna bless me with whatever I want. No, hope is not just a blind or mere optimism. It's not just hopium, I hope something's gonna happen. It's not just wish fulfillment. Nor is hope a denial of the reality of our lives. Hope no matter what, everyone say no matter what. No matter what is this active, confident expectation that you can't divide God up. Which means this, that what God says is absolutely consistent with who God is. That's so important for us to understand because that's not how humans are. Like right now, I could tell you guys the Cowboys are gonna win and I could say it with confidence, I can have a smile on my face. But guys, deep down inside, I believe we're going to lose to the Jaguars today. (laughs) And I hate it. I can't shake this feeling, right? What do we call that? We call that a division. A division of what I say and who I really am. With God, there is no division between his presence, his good character, and his words. What he says reflects his character. God is not a man that he should lie. So our hope is based on God's good character. It anticipates a future in glimpses shaped by God's good promises. Here's the reality. Here's the reality about all of us and everyone on the planet, everyone from India to England all the way to Boise. We all hope. You guys are hopers, right? It's your basic constitution to hope. It's not a question about whether you will hope or not. Now, certainly some people give up on hope, but primarily we are built to hope. So the question is not about are you going to hope? It's about who you put your hope in. Some people put their hope in the economy. Some people put their hope in stock market. Some people put their hope in politics. Politics has become the new church. It's really weird. And a politician has become the new Messiah. It's really weird. There's only one king. Come on, somebody. No? Okay. Name is Jesus. Chris, you're getting too political. I don't care. Okay. We put our hope in success. We put our hope in all these different things. So the question is not whether you hope or not. The question is who you put your hope in. 
Which leads me just to the basic, the basic reality of who we are. We all hope. As one expert says, hope cannot be delivered by a medical prescription. He's not saying medical prescriptions are bad per se. It's just that you can't, you can't give hope that way. Those who survived the Nazi concentration camps later recalled that death camp prisoners knew whenever a fellow prisoner had abandoned the last vestiges of hope. The despair could be seen in their eyes and their countenance in the very way that he carried himself. In time, the prisoners developed a name for such people, the walking dead. Before long, the person who had lost hope would stop eating or drinking, would come down with a terminal infection, or would straggle and be shot. We cannot live without hope. So why hope? Why hope? Romans 15, 13 says this. God is the God of hope. And Paul writes, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So what does that mean? You guys still with me? Okay. God has designed us in such a way as to live from the future. We are designed to live from the future. What does that mean, Chris? That's, that's really sci-fi, right? So what does that mean, living from the future? I'll explain that quickly. But before I do that, I'm a weather nerd. I love weather. How many of you love weather? I love all kinds of weather, right? If I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a historian. If I wasn't a historian, I would want to be a meteorologist. I just love just all different kinds of weather. What I love to do and some of you know this, some of my close friends know this, I love to go on the weather app. It's my vice, my only, my only vice that I have in my life. <laughs> I love to go on the weather app about 10 times a day. I read my Bible a lot more, okay? Don't judge me. But I love to go on the weather app and look into the future and see when snow is coming. I love that. And when I see that snow is coming and the day has arrived that it's going to snow, it alters my behavior, right? I'm not going to go out with some shorts and a shirt because I've seen and gotten a glimpse of the future and I know what's coming this particular day. I put on some snow boots, boots and I put on, I'll try to talk here today, and I put on um, a jacket to make sure that I'm warm, warm and I prepare myself for the arrival of the future. This is what hope is for us. Uh, one Harvard business expert, Fritz Rothelsberger, states most people think of the future as an ends and the present as the means, whereas in fact the present is the ends and the future the means. Translation, Chris, right? Somebody like, what does that mean? It simply means the future is the means by which we alter the structure of our present reality. When we get a glimpse of God's future, world, it changes how we live in the present. Martin Luther King Jr. had his I have a dream speech and there were many iterations to that speech. He actually wasn't going to speak that speech on that particular day when he went to the mall, but he extemporized and he gave this I have a dream speech and it changed and altered the American consciousness related to race. He took us into the future and brought us back into the present and it changed everything. And can I get an amen? amen. We, are, we are designed by God because God is a God of hope to manage our life from the future. And can I get an amen from that? Amen. So 
As I close here, I'm going to give you three things, three ways in which we can be people of hope. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, and then I'm going to pray for us. I think what I would like us to do this season and this next year is we got to practice. Everyone say practice. And, and sometimes it, ta- it takes work, but we got to practice every single day to expect for good things from God. I know that blew your mind because that was so profound. And I'll say it this way, and I'm speaking to myself, guys. When you wake up in the morning, practice having a high expectation that God is actually present. Stop giving in to inferior voices that say otherwise. Believe that the promises of God are yes and amen. Believe that if God can fire the universe into existence, he can fire something into your soul. Believe that you're, you're not neglected, that you're not forgotten. And even though you're going through a rough time, have a high expectation that God is not limited temporally, spatially, circumstantially. He is not restricted. God's word and his promise over you is a big, resounding yes. Yes. Now, I, I, when, when I preach this, some people are like, oh, does this mean blab it, grab it? I can just get whatever I want. No, no, no. What we're saying is you're anticipating good things that come from God's promises and his character. Psalm 27 said this, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's believe that we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Well, Chris, is so, it's a hellscape out there. It's so apocalyptic. Do you know what's happening in our politics? Do you know what's happening in this world? Do you, do you see all the stupid? Yeah, I see more stupid than, than you think I see, okay? There's stupid everywhere. And yet I still believe God's word of promise is greater. It is stronger. It is incomparable. It is unique within history and time and space. God's power is staggering and he can fire strength into you. Come on. He can fire wisdom into you. He can fire peace into your mind. He can bring healing to your body and your brain chemistry. He can take the traumas. He can take the hurt. He can take the pain and he can transform it and he can bring his goodness into you and flood you with his life. God is a God of life. But here's the thing. My wife and I were learning this. We, We blessed with a new home this year. My entire life I've had a gas fireplace. In this new home, we have a regular fireplace. I di- it's, it's amazing, but I didn't realize how much stinking work goes into putting a fire. I'm like, I'm full country, guys. I'm chopping wood, shucking corn. Like, I got my axe, you know, and anyways, axe, chop wood, okay, you got it. But it's amazing how you start the fire and it takes a while to, to get it going. And once you get it going, you got to keep your eye on it. You got to stoke the fire. I never understood what stoke the fire, fan the flame. And I never understood what that meant until this last year, that keeping the fire going takes work. Becoming a person of hope is similar to that. You have to work at being, by the grace of God, you have to work at becoming a person of hope. And the way you do that is you have to do that by being with Jesus. 
Psalm 119 says this, I cling to your words, I put my hope in your word. Right? So if hope is bound up in the promise and the words of God, then you, you have to give yourself at being in the word of God. Can I be really honest today? No? Okay, I'm going to be really honest today. We love you if you don't want this. And we're going to be gracious and there's no judgment here. But I have to say this as your pastor. If you're unwilling to be in the words of God on a consistent basis, there's grace and I love you. And we're going to be with you until he turns, whatever, right? Just know that I love you. But there's only a certain point that I can help you if you're unwilling to take responsibility to be in the words of of God. To be in the presence of Jesus. You guys, you don't need a pastor. You don't need Mark getting up with his mellifluous voice and singing you into victory. Those are wonderful things. But you're not going to have that Monday through Saturday. Plus, it would be weird if that happened. You woke up one morning and Mark's singing and I'm preaching to you. No, 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 no. That ain't going to happen, right? What, what we need, if we're serious about becoming people of hope, we got to become serious about being people of God's word and spending time with Jesus. If you're unwilling to spend time with Jesus, then you're unwilling to become a person of hope. Some of you, I know, you don't like me, but I still love you, okay? Two, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot live in the what-if scenarios. In other words, you can't get ahead of time. You can't get ahead of God. What does that mean? You can't, on Monday, go to Wednesday and not see Jesus there. You hearing me? On a Monday, you can't look at Wednesday, two days in your future, and not see, if you want to become a person of hope, and not see Jesus there. If you want to be a person of hope and not get ahead of God or not get ahead of time, you have to see Jesus in your Tuesday, in your Wednesday, in your Thursday, in your Friday. This is what happens to anxiety. Anxiety always wants to get ahead of time in God. How does it do that? It operates in what ifs. So on Monday, your mind is in Wednesday and Jesus isn't there. And you're thinking about every worst case situation or outcome that can happen. If you want to become a person of hope, don't get ahead of God. If you're thinking about Wednesday, imagine Jesus being there no matter what. Be proactive, be intentional with cutting out the what ifs. Stop it. Stop what if in your life. Can I get an amen? It takes work. I know we all tend to do it. We all want to think about the future without Jesus there. That is my definition of anxiety. That is my definition of despair. Thinking about next year without Jesus being there. If you want to be a person of hope, think about Wednesday with God's presence there. Stop thinking about your exhaustion. No, I got so much got to do. And I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And I don't think I have the strength to do it. No, no, no. Move that, put that to the side and see the presence of God in your future and in your circumstances. Finally, number three, don't rush it. Wait, 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 wait. Expectantly for the Lord. Don't rush. 
A hurried life leads to fatigue and fatigue, it corrupts your spiritual capacity to receive anything from God. It turns you into a cynic. Don't rush. Don't rush your maturity. Don't try to think you have to be everything all at the same time. Just wait expectantly for the Lord and his word and his promises. Uh, my wife and I, we took our kids to Disneyland. We had a bunch, a bunches of help. We had a whole army. We shut down Disneyland when we went. And we went to Dumbo, the ride Dumbo. Dummies go to Dumbo. Anyways, let's move on. My kids wanted to go. And the line, if you know anything about Disneyland, they have like, you know, the, how long it's going to take. And you go on your app, you can see how long it's going to take. So the ride on Dumbo was an hour long. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to go. But we decided to go. And I remember we're in this long line and we were waiting. Kids were all over us. Kids were making, making just bad decisions like kids do, right? Still kind of, you know, pretty tired. But what helped me personally, like manage the chaos of seven children, you know, flopping around and running off and all that kind of wonderful stuff, right? That we parents experience when you have, when we have seven children is I was able to see the end of the line. And because I was able to see the future, I was able to wait expectantly. I saw the end of the line and by seeing the end of the line, I had resilience enough to handle the chaos and the exhaustion of waiting. See, I think the reason why we, it's hard for us to wait and patience is a hard thing for us. I mean, let's be honest, it's all hard for us as Americans. It's because we don't have hope anymore. We're not seeing the future. When you begin to see the future, it doesn't mean that everything's gonna be perfect in your life. It just means you're gonna have the resilience and you're gonna have the capacity to manage all the chaos in your life because you're eagerly seeing the future that is coming, right? I think that's how we're supposed to live our lives. We're called to every day have a high expectation that God's gonna do something good no matter what. We're called not to live in the what if scenarios and we're called not to rush, but to wait expectantly with our eyes on God's future, which is joy, amen, which is hope, which is good things. And when you learn that God has good things for you, you can manage everything else. Let me end with this. I think many people are like, well, why does God take so long to bring about his promises? I would like to say this with just so much love and compassion in my heart because we don't have the maturity to handle the promises if they come, right? We wait so God can grow us up. And as we grow up, as we're enlarged with waiting with expectation for God's good purposes, we come to a point of maturity wherein we can handle the things that God has spoken to us. So some of you are experiencing delay and you're frustrated. I thought God said this and he was going to do this, but it's, I feel like I'm over here and if life feels like a labyrinth and I just, some things just don't make sense. And why is that? Well, it could be that God is allowing you to enter into a season wherein God can mature you so you can handle all that God wants to give you. 
can I just say this really quick? I have two 11-year-old boys who I will not allow to drive until they're 32. <laughs> if I gave them the keys today and I was just a horrible father, I would then call every one of you or email every one of you and say this simple words, get off the flipping road. <laughs> right? Why? Because they don't have the maturity to drive a car. They don't have the maturity for a phone. They don't have the maturity for a chainsaw. Because, you know, we're country folk now. That's what we have, right? <laughs> Am I going to give a chainsaw to my 11-year-old kid? No, right? He doesn't have the capacity or the maturity. Are, Chris, are you calling us immature? No, I'm calling myself immature, all of us, right? We all need to grow up. There are some things we just can't handle for a while. And we need to allow delay to grow us in faith and maturity so we can receive all that God has for us. And everyone said, amen. amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you that you are the God of hope. As we go into the Christmas season, we're sitting in Advent right now. Last Sunday of Advent. I thank you that you would flood Capital Church with fresh hope. Those who are weary and tired and exhausted, I thank you that you would give them fresh strength. Lord, we thank you that your word is incomparable. Your word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we just thank you that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes what it's sent to do. Lord, we thank you, Psalm 16 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Lord, we are so thankful that we live in a communicating cosmos wherein you come with your voice, with your word, with your promises, and you speak life and hope over us. So I pray that anyone in here today that is feeling tired, worn out, exhausted, disappointed, depressed, you would come and give life by your word and through your presence. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, you said, You've come to give us life, everyone say life, and life more abundantly, life to the nth degree. And I thank you that as we move into 2023, that we would enter into the depths of that life. I thank you that we are unceasing embodied people who possess a vast spiritual life. And I thank you that you would come and fill that vastness with your presence this year. You would come and raise us up out of the valleys. Lord, you would come and mature and increase our capacity to receive your grace and your love this year. Lord, I thank you that you would teach us how to become people of hope so we can bring hope to a benighted world. So I thank you, Father, for your grace. Lord, we declare that you are the God of hope and I pray that the God of hope today would flood our hearts and would fill us with joy and peace in believing. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would this year abound in hope. Hope, 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 hope in Jesus' name. Hope for our bodies, hope for our children, hope for the future, hope based on the word of promise that you've given to us last year or two years ago or a decade ago or 20 years ago, that we would learn to live as people of hope. Father, forgive us for giving into inferior voices, voices of doubt and disappointment, voices that would say, just seek the superficiality of stuff and things. Father, we give all that to you and we turn today and we look expectantly
expectantly to your word of promise. Lord, our desire is to serve you. It is to follow you. It is to be a people of hope that define their lives on your good character and your good word. In Jesus' name, we bless you. We bless you. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed. I could pray a long time. I really sense the presence of God here this morning. Today, you would say, I just, Chris, I think I'm one of those people. I don't have a lot of hope. And I, I need fresh strength today. If that's you and you want me to pray for you and you're just, you just, wow. You need God to lift you out of the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it feels like. You feel like you're in a place of death. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1. I felt like the sentence of death was announced over me. That's the language of depression and melancholy. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come forward. I just want to pray God's grace over you in this, this holy moment. If you would like prayer right now, could you just raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Many of you, you can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, can you put on your heart? I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus, I thank you that you're the God of hope. Thank you that your word is incomparable. I thank you that you've already set into motion healing and strength. I thank you if it's a brain chemistry issue. I thank you for your healing. But we thank you for good medicine and we thank you for good doctors and we thank you for wisdom in that. But we also thank you for the power of God to be released in their bodies. If it's other factors, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, you would come right now and just lift that depression. Lord, and, and the, some of you right now, you, you raise your hand and you just can't see the future. The future, you just can't even see it. You're like, I, I can't see, I can't see. This is nothing good, right? It's going to happen. I just pray right now that you would speak to that issue. That you would come through your loving presence and you would encourage and strengthen everyone who feels that right now. Lord, we declare that you are the God of hope and you are flooding every person that is in the valley of the shadow of death right now. And you would flood their entire person with your love, with fresh hope, fresh strength right now in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit's doing something powerful. Can I get an amen, church? Something powerful in our lives today. Two more things I want to pray for really quick. You guys are amazing. We're almost done. You say, I'm tired, exhausted, and weary. I need strength. I'm kind of burnt burn out, whatever. If that's you, can I pray for you? Just raise your hand. Anyone like that? Okay, okay, okay. All over the place. Okay, take your hand, put it on your heart. Lord, we thank you, Father, that even though people grow weary and tired, as we learn to wait upon you, you give us strength. I thank you for giving us our strength back. I thank you that if you fired the universe into existence, Lord, you can fire passion, vision, hope into us. So we say yes to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.